Hello everyone, it's Friday the 12th of March and welcome to episode 46 of the Kite Podcast with me, Ben Eagle. And me, Will Evans. Now, we still haven't forgotten about the rugby and the famous and record-breaking Welsh victory against England, of course, or Chris's comments on the show a few weeks ago. So, for Chris's sake, we thought that on the podcast this week, we should take the attention away from Wales and instead put the focus on Scotland. The Scottish Dairy Growth Board have released a new strategy document called Scotland's Dairy Sector Rising to the Top 2030, which has encouraged us to think of all sorts of questions about market development and processing capacity. What might the future for dairy look like in Scotland and what impact might this have in the rest of the UK? Well, to discuss this, we are joined by the chair of the Scottish Dairy Growth Board, Paul Grant, Kite's senior consultant in Scotland, David Keeley. And as always, we welcome everyone's favourite dairy market analyst, Chris Walkland. Good morning, everyone. Chris, it's over to you, first of all, for the Milk Market Report. Where are you this week? Well, I'm on the top of Ben Nevis in beautiful, nearly independent Scotland this morning with my feet on terra firma and my head in the clouds, just like its politicians. And I'm here at a very opportune time because this week there was International Bagpipe Day, where apparently, and I quote, you can go out and toot your pipe anywhere, anyhow, to anyone. Who knew, eh? Happily, we'll not be doing any of that today because we've got a very important guest on the show, Mr. Paul Grant, whose clan, according to Wikipedia, seems to have spent the last 500 years fighting anyone and everyone. It's like the rest of Scottish folk then. (laughs) Mr. PG is no warrior. He's a placid man and a fruity one, too. In fact, he's the fruitiest man in the whole dairy industry. But for all the right reasons. Mr. Marmalade Maker by day, Scottish Dairy Board Chairman at night. And also, I might add, he's by far the most popular man in the dairy industry up there. Because there's nothing a Scottish dairy farmer loves more than a grant. They'll do anything anything to get their hands on a grant. Absolutely, David, but again, for all of the right reasons. So I'm here because, and I quote from his report, there's no country better placed than Scotland to realise global dairy opportunities. And it has set out to achieve that potential. But has our guest got his feet on terra firma? Or is his head in the clouds like mine? And what are PG's tips for the industry? <laughs> How long did you take to think of that one? I don't know, but I'm never going to look at a tea bag again without. <laughs> Before that glorious vista unfolds, though, we have to wade through the clammy bog of my market report. Happily, it's good news again. EU butter has continued to soar on the back of the GDT with the average price now 4,200 euros, way ahead of that 3,500 uh, target I set back end of last year. And that's 3,600 pounds a tonne. We haven't seen these prices since March 2019. SMP hasn't rallied as much, I'm afraid, up only modestly. 
However, the butter-skim powder combination results in an ampy price that tops 30p. And there's more good news in that UK cream is now touching 160 uh, per kilo. And I've been talking about the importance of 150 in the past. Some traders say they've sold the odd load at that level, others the mid-150s, but it's heading very much in the right direction. And EU prices say some equate to £1.70 a kilo in our language. So the driver is still upwards. The upward pressure continues on cheese. Edom Gouda are up again to as high as €3,250. And that's a monster price. And interestingly, it's for July to December delivery too, which points to a bit of longevity on these uh, brilliant prices. Those cheeses and curd are pushing mozzarella up again. That's about 2,800 sterling. And in theory, cheddar prices should be lifting too. But alas, food service buyers aren't ready to buy. And we're not at the stage where food service pipelines are going to open. When they do, though, I can see a big rush from buyers to get in first. And that's going to drive prices one way. But sadly, going the other way is spot milk. Rapidly rising milk volumes is starting to tank the price to as low as 24p delivered. That's 21px. So that's it from me. Generally, another positive one. But all eyes will be on Tuesday's GDT. Will it be up? Will it be down? Will it stay the same? Tune in this time next week when I'll let you know my prediction. In the meantime, <laughs> keep tooting those pipes. Goodbye. <laughs> Thank you, Chris. Very positive on this week. Uh, Paul, thanks for coming on the show this morning. Well, uh, the Scottish Dairy Growth Board, um, it was formed in 2014 following the Ambition 2025 study on the growth opportunities for dairy in Scotland. Let's turn, though, to uh, your new strategy document for Scottish Dairy. Can you give listeners a brief summary of the key focus areas um, in that document? Sure. When I started out, I, I said that I wanted a resource to, to help me to do this. So we brought on board a guy called Roddy Wilde, who looked after international development. He also is a practitioner. All his life, he's been involved in food exporting and salmon and chicken, multilingual, all that sort of stuff. So when we began, uh, we both believed that the Scottish products and Scottish brand had an opportunity, but we needed to do some homework to establish whether the reality of that. So the last five years have really been about establishing whether or not there is a role for Scottish, uh, the Scottish brand in dairy globally. We discovered that the offer from Scotland was so limited in terms of what was available internationally that we could only really focus on one product, which was cheddar. I mean, there was literally okay. nothing else available. Unfortunately, we persuaded Lactalis to convert or to actually prepare and to launch a Scottish brand for First Edinburgh because we sold them that Seriously Strong just was not Scottish enough to be able to sell that Scottish branded story. And we managed to get artisan cheesemakers to come on board with their stories and, and help us to create a portfolio opportunity. But as we began and as we started to connect with markets and customers, we began to get inquiries about other types of products from Scotland. Um, but then discovered clearly that, that those sorts of offers were very limited, very 
UK focused in terms of offer and really didn't have the characteristics, if you like, for serious exporting, like a good shelf life, uh, minimizing risk. And many of those products are well established in markets anyway. So we, we came across a very, very significant problem. We proved through Cheddar that there is a genuine interest in Scottish products. It's what many people said to us. It's missing. We've got Welsh. We've got English. We've got British. We've got Irish. But where the hell is the Scottish offer? And this was repeatedly said to us. So we we knew from that there was an opportunity. And um, and then, of course, we, we, we came across the environmental circumstances. So I would say in the last two years, very, very significant awareness of people in the world about water problems, polluted water problems, awareness of countries where perfect circumstances for producing things were uh, uh, available, um, and the recognition that Scotland could clearly be one of those uh, places, and the realisation, therefore, that if you want sustainable growth, <clears throat> we better start exploring some of those um, supply places to see how we can get products from them to world markets where there is a genuine demand, where added value and higher prices are paid, and, um, and therefore start connecting. And so that is how, uh, in the last 12 months or so, processing opportunities are, have come our way. And uh, as I said in, in the launch uh, early days, uh, we're still to convert, but we're working on very encouraging process opportunities. And uh, I think it's, in our view, it's all come together to uh, evidence the fact that there really is a potential role internationally for Scotland, both in branded products, but also in processing capability. Um, and, um, you know, this is the start of, a, a, if you like, a more outward journey for Scotland Dairy, which we believe has a very, very encouraging future. Paul, you mentioned um, opportunities for exports there and, and, and also um, processing capacity. The report yeah. talks talks about both those things um, and including new opportunities for UHT and fresh milk, which sounds very exciting. Can yeah. you explain a little bit more about those opportunities to us, please? Sure. Um, well, UHT, let's deal with that first, is obviously well-established UHT supply around the world. UHT generally is, is, is used in excess. It's a commodity status situation. But if you put the Scottish brand and you get great tasting product, you, you actually achieve something that is better than the present offer, which is highly appealing. As you know, uh, the UK has a real capacity issue on UHT. There is no spare capacity anywhere. Both the two projects we're working on at the moment cross-checked the UK availability of capacity before they went to Europe to get supplied and before they came to us. So there's a huge um, weakness in, in terms of internationalization of liquid products from, from the UK and in, particularly in Scotland, as I say. Um, and it's, you've got a UHT if you, if you want to have good shelf life and uh, affordable transport. The other is, is yes, the fresh milk. I and mean, the, the fresh milk uh, opportunity is very, very exciting. I think it came to us about 18 months ago. It came via a Dutch company who had developed the technology uh, to sea ship um, initially orange juice, which they've been doing for 15 years now from Brazil into Europe and around the world. And then five years ago, they began the 
technology development to convert their experience with orange juice into another liquid product, and they chose milk. When the um, Muller gave notice to the Northeast farmers in Scotland, uh, this Dutch company came to us and said, look, we think we can help you on the accessible problem you've got, and he introduced us to this uh, opportunity and technology, and actually gave us a huge insight into the global environmental situation because they'd been doing their homework for the last two or three years in terms of their research. So we we have the potential to be the sort of northern hemisphere supplier to markets within around 40 days of shipping time from Scotland. That's that's the opportunity for us. Yeah, interesting. What's your view on this, Chris? I know that you've spoken quite a bit on Scottish processing in the past. I mean, is, is processing capacity holding Scottish dairy back, do you think? And if yes, are there any examples at home or abroad, principally, um, that Scotland should follow, in your view? Well, I think there is a lack of options for farmers in Scotland because there's a lack of uh, processing. Um, farmers have the greatest leverage with their processes when when they and their milk are in demand. And currently, currently they aren't in demand. So I think more processing will create more options, create more competition, and in theory should be good for the farmers up there. However, processing capacity is not a magic bullet. Um, We've seen from Westbury Dairies uh, several years ago now, and Amelka also, that simply putting new capacity up is not a magic bullet. Uh, You need to get the markets and the expertise before you put the steel up. So I think provided you get you get the right ducks in the row at the right time it will be good for scottish um, farmers but you just can't crash in on the processing front Mm. okay um paul i hate to bring up the 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 b word but we're just coming out of (laughs) the uncertainty from brexit uh, maybe hopefully and there are calls by some uh, or many for another referendum on scottish independence which could add further uncertainty might this put companies off investing in scottish dairy do you think well it's interesting because obviously in the last few months we have some serious inquiries and interests and and that hasn't really been raised seriously now it may be because we're at the exploratory stage um, and we aren't sort of at the point of where's your money, let's put it on this site and let's buy the equipment. Um, so it's probably in the back of people's minds. Mm. As I say, to date it hasn't been a negative. Um, people around the world still see Scotland a little bit part of the UK um, rather than the internal strong views. It's slightly different in, a, in an international world, I would say. Okay. David, let's bring you in now. Um, You work with a lot of farmers and processors in Scotland. Do you think that the objectives of the Scottish Dairy Growth Board will accelerate what's already happening on the ground in some ways? Yeah, thanks for having me. Uh, First time on the podcast, it's great to be here. Um, Congratulations, firstly, to Paul for putting together such an inspirational, aspirational document uh, for Scottish Dairy, because I think it it does give us a stimulus, it gives an impetus to go forward. Um, one of the things that we you've talked about previously on the podcast is is that league of, of processors. And I think one of the things that this document does really, really well is puts us in the Premier League. And I think there's been some fantastic examples of that within Scottish processing. If you look at the minute, um, the work that Lactalis have done, for example, with the, the producers over the last four years, they've embraced things like 
antibiotic monitoring. They've embraced things like carbon monitoring. They're looking more at sustainability of their business uh, with the appointment of a, C, of, a, of a specific director to look after the corporate social responsibility and sustainability in that business. And, and they're also looking at, at biodiversity. And I think that's given them the power to align with um, higher value contracts with, with retailers. And as a result, I think producers have, have probably seen a more stable, less volatile price. And when producers see that, it allows their businesses to plan forward, expand uh, and invest in, in what is a very important milk field. Um, and, it, you know, in this uh, economy that we're now in, the post-COVID carbon economy, um, if, if what Paul's putting forward, particularly with the carbon side of his, his, his document, I think that's, that's a real... Um, potential for us to to move forward and in it being embraced by the whole industry i think it gives us a very very strong position going forward mm. um, and there's been you know there's some fantastic examples in 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 scottish um dairy production of innovation at processor level and at farmer level um you know when we're challenged uh, you know farmers tend to to make the most of that challenge and try and add value to the product whether that's investing in in processing, whether that's uh, doing doorstep deliveries, um, and you know, I think I think those um, those examples are there, and I think we're, we're an industry that's really um, wants to move forward. We've got a fantastic land base here, we've got great climate, and good expertise, um, and some fantastic young farmers on the ground. And I think, yeah, it's a very very fruitful. Um, market should we get this um, market stimulus that Paul Grant is hopefully going to bring to us, David? Um, bearing in mind what you what you just said, if Scotland succeeds in getting investment in processing capacity, how quickly can Scottish dairy farmers meet that added demand? And what does the industry need to do to put building blocks in place? I think there's two aspects to that, isn't there? There's really what far, what happens at farm level and what happens at processor level. Mm-hmm. Um, very much at farm level at the minute. I mean, um, the adoption of sex semen on farm is going to produce potentially uh, excess capacity um, and more heifers on the ground going forward. And that, mm. that technology has been adopted and the results are good from that. Um, you know, we've seen um, grant funding in the past, which was set set in, in the mid-2000s, um, mid late 2000s, that has really set the Scottish industry well in terms of potential capacity. Um, we have scale in this area. Um, in Dumfries and Galloway, where I live, you know, our average herd size would be in the 300s. So we've got scale, and with scale comes efficiency. Um, I think, you know, for the last four four years, we've seen probably a very stable market where there hasn't been a lot of um, transfer of contracts between from farmers to processor to processor. Uh, and that's been a very, very stable market. So the demand stimulus up that, that a manufacturer would bring would hopefully free up that and, and put some more competition in the marketplace, as Chris alluded to. Another phenomenon that we've seen in Scotland, particularly in, in, down here with, with land, there's a lot, an awful lot of land tied up with suckler cows and beef production. And um, that's eased. Numbers of sucklers have dropped in Scotland considerably. Um, and I think, you know, up until two years ago, there was certainly some very big dairy com- conversions going on. Um, that slowed to an extent as, as, as we've seen a lack of contracts availability, but that's certainly something that could um, could take up slack quite quickly. You know, in fact, it's just is it get the cows, get the parlour, and get going. Um, and I, th- I think you know there's, there are 
farms that have been large suckler enterprises that would that would suit that um, that type of conversion on really good suitable growing land. Get the parlor and get going. <laughs> that, that might be that might be the title for this podcast, Becky. <laughs> David might have given it to us there. Yeah. Um, if let's... I can, if I can add just yeah. one point to that, uh, in terms of the processing opportunities, it normally takes between twelve and eighteen months for an initial inquiry to be delivered. So we are talking here about the timescale where, again, there can be a response from farming rather than a an immediate knee-jerk, hello, here we are, we've got to find the milk. These types of processing uh, investments take time and there's ability then to, 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 to come on board with, uh, with, with, with the farmers and, and negotiate appropriate contracts. What about other parts of the UK? Let's turn to that, uh, David. How, how might the strategy impact farmers and processors, I suppose, um, elsewhere? And I mean, could this be a really good news story, not just for Scotland, but for the whole of the UK? So we, we ship a lot of milk south of the border. Um, one of the primary movers has been Carl Woodcock for doing that. It's taken quite a lot of contracts out of the southwest of Scotland, out of the, you know, the central belt of Scotland. Um, and, and that milk potentially could be brokered. Um, or alternatively switch into a into a new processor contract if it was for a UHT based. So there is the capacity there that's, that's, that's going south currently. Muller would also be another processor that would take milk south at, at, at certainly at times of flush. So the, the, the milk, I think, is there in Scotland if we wanted a Scottish branded UHT product. Um, so it, you know, there is capacity there, as well as the fact um, there is, when you talk to farmers on the ground, there's been an awful lot of... Um, enthusiasm to 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 increase herd sizes um and that's only been uh, restricted by the fact that your know, processes only have you know, between four and ten percent expansion expansions year on year um you know the, the the good modern businesses with scale are looking to you know to increase so would it be in terms of the rest of the uk i think it would stimulate you know it would have certain stimulus in the north of england as well um, because I think it would probably potentially displace product that was finding its way down into into Aspatria. So I think there's a lot. It, it would it would be a great thing for the whole industry to recognise and see the opportunity in the document. Um, and as a wider as a wider industry plea, if we all recognised that and collaborated in it, I think there's there's, there's an awful lot of potential. Um, if we can, if Paul can, we can you know get one of these uh, processing units to to to. Uh, to be based in, in Scotland, in the southwest of Scotland. Yeah, Chris, good for those south of the border as well. Yeah, I, I would generally agree uh, with what David said. There will be a ripple effect. It, it, it always happens. Um, Scottish milk will stay in Scotland. I'm not sure how much English milk would go into Scotland. You, you probably wouldn't want it defiled by English milk. <laughs> Wales two weeks ago, England this week. <laughs> Welsh products will only have Welsh milk, you see, and I, Scottish products will only have Scottish milk. But there will be there will be a, um, a, a ripple effect. But one of the points I'd like to make is about Wales, because what we've seen is we've seen Scotland move forward with this, with a plan for its industry, which it's discussing with the whole industry. What we've seen with Wales and MBZ is a unilateral decision by the welsh government which will put their industry in retreat yeah. there is a massive contrast and as usual england's doing sod all about anything <laughs> <laughs> okay um 
I've got a question for all of you uh, to finish off. Um, if this strategy document is indeed a new chapter that will be a dairy success story for Scotland and the whole of the UK, as we've discussed, what do you think is the one thing that farmers and the wider industry can do to help achieve these ambitions? David, let's go to you first. So I think that farmers at the minute in the southwest of Scotland have the potential to grow their businesses. Um, you know, we've got a, a large area of, of good pasture when land is early. Um, we've got a, a very temperate climate that grows grass well. There's a lot of expertise here. So I think it's, it's focusing on, on, on our efficiencies, maintaining that efficiencies and embracing um, the, the, the post-COVID carbon economy um, and really engaging with processors. From a processor standpoint, I think it's getting behind the ambition that's there, uh, and let's see let's see that processing facility uh, come to fruition. Um, so I think you know, as a wider industry, we probably need to get around the table and try to make that happen. Mm-hmm. Um, I think the benefits of that are really big, and if you take a step back outside agriculture and you look at the rural economy in Scotland, the multiplier effect from a, a community, a, a rural community point of view, is huge. So the benefits to doing this are really big, both in terms of what the, the Scottish dairy industry gets, but also what Scotland gets. Mm. Um, I think that's really important that we should we should we should remember that it it, it does in a rural community have a as a massive massive multiplier effect. Mm. Yeah, and you, Paul, what do you think? Well, I, I believe it creates hope, and um, you know there is a future for the next generation. Um, and for me, it's now about recognizing there's hope rather than fear. And um, let's get on and continue improving what we do, both from a sort of productivity point of view and an efficiency point of view, but also environmentally, so that as and when those opportunities come your way, you're, you're, you're ready, you're robust, you're going to make a good margin from it, and you're going to have a real future. Mm. Okay. And we'll finish with uh, everyone's favourite dairy market analyst. Chris, what do you think? Exactly. Ev- the only available market analyst on a Friday. I, would say. <laughs> <laughs> I didn't want to say I, that. <laughs> I think it's simple. I think if, if Scotland concentrates and Scottish farmers concentrate on what they do well and focus on doing it better, and for the wider industry, keep helping the farmers do it better, then, then the future is going to be brilliant. That's what I would say, really. Mm. What a fantastic way to end. Um, that's all we have time for. But a very big thank you to our guests today, Paul Grant, David Keeley, and Chris Walkland. Thank you very much for listening. We'll see you next week. But for now, it's goodbye from all of us here.